three, two, one. Welcome back to another episode. It's Chris, the MLS card guy, as always, joined by my good friend, Nashi. He's had quite an experience, which he's going to get into us here for a second. I, I hear you're still buzzing. I hear you haven't slept at all, Nashi. Um, so we'll get into it in, in, in one second here. Um, but first, I want to introduce our guest here really quickly. Um, a guy that's a little bit newer on the scene, hasn't done too much here, but sent us over a really interesting kind of breakdown uh, for the MLS transfer or for the MLS off season for next season, um, kind of a breakdown of all the different teams and who you want to target and who you want to stay away from. So uh, really interesting stuff, really interested to get his opinion. This is so rare. Will. Um, so just, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me guys. Really appreciate it. Um, so I started my so rare journey in January of this past year. Um, and kind of like a lot of other people, uh, when the crypto wave kind of came through, um, I was looking how could I get involved? Um, so I ended up doing some research and found kind of where two of my passions meet um, in finance and then also in soccer or football as well. Um, and kind of dip my toes into so rare. Um, and ever since I've been super into it, it's been really cool to see new sports come on as well um, as I'm a big basketball fan as well. Um, but really spent most of my time really diving into so rare um, and specifically the MLS as well, um, as that's where most of my expertise lies. Um, and I think it's really cool that you can use your knowledge and gain an advantage and to win those cards and to win those prizes is just an awesome experience that I'm sure you guys have uh, loved as well. Um, yeah, for sure. I know I win more cards than Nashi, but we won't talk about that right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's awesome that, that you, you've kind of gotten into here and, and you're uh, definitely a big MLS guy. Uh, you were, we were kind of talking a little bit pre-show and you said you're a DC United guy, which obviously warms my, uh, my heart and soul here. Um, so tell me about that. How'd you get into DC? Why, why pick the worst team in the league to follow? I'm a big, uh, I love the home teams, love, uh, the team, local teams. Um, I'm from the Baltimore DC area, born and raised. Huh? Um, so big, uh, DC United fan have been going to games ever since I'm a kid. Um, actually had the opportunity to buy season tickets for this upcoming season. Um, so I'm excited to get out and to even more games. Uh, hopefully this upcoming season's better. Can't be too much worse uh, than <laughs> dead last in the league, but, um, Wayne Rooney and hopefully a few new signings should make the team, uh, really exciting. Yeah, I think you're maybe a little bit more optimistic than me. Um, that's for <laughs> sure. I I mean, it's true. We can't get any worse than last. So I guess that's good. But uh, yeah, I, I don't have a ton of hope going into next year. Like like obviously some of the other teams like Toronto at the bottom, Atlanta United at the bottom. Some of these other teams have some some decent hope going into next year. Um, so appreciate that from Will. We'll get we'll get uh, a lot of his reactions to stuff kind of later on uh, in the program as well. Um, so definitely stick around to see uh, you know who we're targeting for next year, which teams we think are going up and down that that whole thing. Um, but first, obviously coming off the back of the MLS Cup final, shout out to Sorare. They hooked us up with some awesome tickets. Got got into some some cool places. Had a whole experience. I wasn't around. Um, but Nashi was, so he's going to, he's going to carry the story here. So Nashi, take us through the whole thing, right? Take us through the whole day. Uh, just kind of walk us through like what it was like to be part of this, like once in a lifetime experience, literally like the best game in MLS history. Well, just walk us through this from, 
from start to finish, man. No, that's it. I mean, you can probably hear in my voice that um, I'm still still in recovery mode. I'm not sure I'm ready to to not sure I've got the emotional energy to relive it yet, but um, we'll do our best bet. And yeah, like you said, like Sorry had, had reached out um, to the community and said, you know, they might have opportunity to have some tickets to do a meetup at the final of the uh, the MLS Cup. But the kind of the catch with it was that. Because obviously the way it's structured, we didn't actually know where the final would be, which made like logistics tough. So we'd heard about it a little while ago. Maybe there was this opportunity, but it was all a little bit, nothing was really concrete. And and yeah, like last minute, last week, obviously it, 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 LA make the final. So they, they're hosting it. And then, yeah, like the opportunity almost came up and I was like, obviously, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go. But it almost was a bit bit rushed you were considering going out tripping some of the other guys yeah. were trying to make it happen we couldn't quite get out there but yeah I was lucky enough to be close enough that like it's a no-brainer to me I gotta go so and I know yeah. like last week it was it was weird like we knew this opportunity was like probably Thursday Friday last week we knew we were, we'd probably have a chance depending on where the final was it's like going into last week we're all like rooting for teams near our hometown so that we can all like go like me and Trippin were planning on going to Philly Trippin was like maybe for Austin um like I knew I wasn't going to LA but obviously you're in LA so like you were definitely rooting for LA and it was just like weird dichotomy of like I'm rooting for Philly and Austin because I want the game to be in Philly because I want to be able to go to it um but obviously it ends up being LA and, and it's an absolute cracker of a final for sure. Um, so yeah, just kind of walk us through a lot. I mean, there was obviously a bunch of pregame festivities. They had a whole meetup and everything pregame. Um, so kind of walk us through like the, the pregame and kind of getting into the stadium and just the whole atmosphere around it. Yeah. I mean, like the whole day itself was like a bit of a, like going to like, we woke up early. I'm about an hour, um, North of LA and then LA traffic's notoriously bad. So you have to give yourself a bit of time. So I think we was on the road about, 8.30, 9am, you know, coffee in hand, almost not really knowing what's ahead of us. Kickoff was at one, and we, but we had to get to this hotel downtown and there's all this stuff and it was all a bit up in the air. So it just felt like already a bit of a madness going into it. But yeah, we get on the road and we head down to uh, the, the Intercontinental Hotel down in LA and they provided uh, parking for, for invited guests. And because we're with So Rare, we were lucky enough they sorted us out so we could park at a hotel because I'm not sure if everyone knows it's absolute disgrace really, but they didn't provide any parking for the MLS game at the stadium because there was a USC tailgate for the game that night, which is a whole nother debate that we could probably rant on a bit, but it was yeah. pretty disgraceful, but they made really good efforts obviously at last minute notice um, to at least provide some uh, alternative. So we got to park at this hotel and then they, the MLS themselves were providing shuttles from there to the game. Um, we shuttled over and we were supposed to meet uh, right near the stadium, a little restaurant to get some lunch with some of the guys from So Rare. So we got there pretty early. We met uh, AM. He was the guy kind of hosting the event, the one we'd, who'd reached out to us for the tickets. Uh, he'd come all the way from New York with a couple of guys from the company then slowly some other um, Sorry managers filtered in and we got a little group together and there must have been about 15 of us in the end. And uh, yeah, we had a bit of lunch, had a couple of drinks and then headed over. Whoops, it was about half a mile from the stadium. And it was almost a, you know, it was a very LA feel because as you're walking up to the stadium, you've got street vendors, they're selling beers, they're selling 
churros, you've got hot dogs. So I think we must have stopped three or four times on the way and <laughs> picked up a few Modelos, a few, I'm not sure if it's strictly legal or not, but it's, it's LA, you know, kind of anything goes sometimes. So we, by the time we got there, we'd had a few drinks and you could already hear the, the sort of electricity in the air. It was like, as you, we got to the stadium, you could see like this black smoke coming out and it's, you know, they, the people were in there with the flares and you could just tell everyone was, you know, I've been to a lot of MLS games this year. I've actually been to an LAFC game, but even before kickoff, 20, 30 minutes, you just feel that electricity in the air, that anticipation. It just felt different. It felt like a final. And I, I, I don't know, like, I don't know if they've got this on record. So we get in, we're all got, we got pretty good seats. Like, you know, Sorry got us in some really nice seats. So a big shout out. We get into the stadium and I swear it is, they must have, you talk about sold out. I think they oversold the game because you got <laughs> every seat was full. And then there was people lined up on the sort of concourse about three or four back. It felt like a real, you know, something out of a movie, like a gladiator movie or something. It was just people squeezing in, cheering, chanting. And yeah, so like the, the atmosphere from minute one was unbelievable. And that was before the game, the game kicked yeah. off. I know they they were talking about kind of before the game, they said we could probably sell 70,000 tickets to this thing and we would be completely fine. Like we could, we could move this to a bigger stadium. Um, but I think it's cool that they kind of kept it in their own, you know, stadium and had that authentic feel to it. Right. Obviously it's like, I mean, all LAFC games are great. Like they're all great atmospheres, but like this was like on steroids and you could see it like coming through the TV as well. Um, so I can't even imagine like what it, what it must've been like to kind of be a part of that and be, be actually in the fray. And then you get to the game and you've got these two massive teams, right? Like the top two scores in MLS history, the best defensive team in MLS history, um, two teams that had the exact same amount of points in the regular season. And LAFC is only hosting this game based on wins. Um, like these two teams that have just kind of freight trained everybody else all year long. And it just been on this kind of collision course all year long. Um, and then, you know, talent stars all over the place. Like there's Justin Bieber's at the game, you know, um, they got all these people. And then on the field itself, um, obviously you got all the star power that LAFC has, and then you have some of the best players in the MLS that the Philadelphia has, and they're not necessarily world stars, but they're phenomenal, phenomenal players. Um, and it just kind of felt like it's like inevitability that like these two teams would end up playing each other. And really that's very odd, right. For MLS, because typically we don't see one versus one. It's the first time that we've had both one seeds make the final since 2003. So um, you're actually getting into this game with like these two, like, all-time great MLS teams, right? Um, and then, you know, obviously the game starts and kicks off and, and it just goes nuts. So kind of walk us through like the first half and, and all the kind of festivities going on um, as the game's kind of going on. No, that's it. It really felt like, like you said, these both these teams have been phenomenal this year and looked unbeatable at points. And it felt a bit like a big heavyweight fight coming in where there's that excitement because you – you almost look at LA and you're like, oh, they're so talented. They're so good. They can't lose. But then you look at Philly and the structure and the organization of professionalism and their performance this year. And you think, well, I don't see them losing either. You know what I mean? So, you know, you're about to witness a Titan go down and, and it really felt like that. And the first half going into it was, it, there was quality on both sides, but it was a very, it wasn't a cagey match, but they were almost canceling each other out uh, for most of the first half. LA got a breakthrough, but there was a 
obviously a touch of fortune in a the goal. They got a free kick yeah. in a good area. Um, Acosta hit it and it got a deflection and there's not much, even someone like Andre Blake couldn't do much about that and react to it. So LA went in at half time, but the first half really, I mean, compared to the rest of the game was fairly, they were almost cancelling each other out a lot, in a lot of areas. You know, they've both got quality all over the field. So they were probing for weaknesses, but it was a good first half, competitive. And it was almost a, a little fortune for LA to go in ahead. Yeah. And um, and at that time, the home crowd, you could sense that, you know, everyone, half time, big cheer, everyone's excited. We're speaking to people around us. They're happy, they're excited, but it wasn't, they knew, you could sense in the fan base that they knew there was some some twists and turns uh, in this game left. So and the first half itself was was pretty uh, pretty kind of what you expect, pretty pretty well matched up. Yeah, and, then, uh, and this is this is going into going into halftime, right? Uh, this is LAFC's game, right? All year long, they go up one nothing, it's over. Forget about it. They've only dropped points. I think it was one time they dropped points from a winning position. They're the best second half team in the in the MLS. Um, and you know, you, you, you're talking about the, the fan base kind of feeling uneasy. And I think that's credit to just how talented Philadelphia is that this is not just going to be, you know, a cakewalk like everybody else. So, um, you're going in one, nothing down at, at halftime as your Philadelphia. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, obviously make some coaching adjustments. And I think this is where, you know, Philly kind of had the edge on LAFC was the, was the coaching battle in Jim Curtin against Chirundolo, not to say Chirundolo is not a great coach because he is. But Jim Curtin has had a wonderful like three years now, um, and and he goes into halftime, makes some adjustments, and they come out in the second half, and 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 we got a ball game. So keep going. No, absolutely, yeah. And and to be honest, the first sort of 15, 20 minutes of the second half was pretty much what I was describing in the first. They were kind of cancel each other out, but this time there was kind of a fortunate break. It was a brilliant finish um, for the goal, but it was a mishit shot. Um, that roll through to uh, Gazdag, is it? Gazdag, yeah. Yep. And he he turned well, but it was, yeah. Again, it was the guy. Uh, it was a mishit shot that fell to him in the box, and he finished it clinically. And you won all, and the game's now poised. And it's, and again, like there wasn't a clear waves of domination either way. There was a really competitive game to that point. So, one all, and it almost felt like all right, we reset. It almost felt like we're back to the start of the game now, and it's all to play for. But obviously, 30 minutes left of a final in terms of the atmosphere, the tension and everything was getting ramped up a little notch now because you know that one moment could be defining for this game and for the season for both these teams. So you could almost start to feel that tension in the air. But so, one all so, going on. so talk, to, talk to me a little bit about... Uh, taking off Chico Arango in the 74th minute here. Um, I was working, so I wasn't, I mean, I was kind of tuning in and tuning out as much as I possibly could, um, but I didn't get to see every last minute here. Was there any like angst about, hey, this is a 1-1 game and we're taking off the best goal scorer in the MLS by by far, um, and we're putting in a Poku. I mean, a is a great player, but he's not Chico Arango. Was there any like, was there any like, resistance to that decision or um, was Arango okay with it? Like what, what was going on there? I'm, I'm not sure it was, I think if, I mean, it was a warm day in LA. It's a final, it's a competitive game. Arango was working hard, you know, occupying that Philadelphia defense, you know, trying to make space for others, trying to keep them moving. And you play in a higher intensity game like that for 70 minutes. It might've been a, let's bring on some fresh legs. 
you talk about Arango being brilliant and he has been, but the beauty, the reason that LAFC are in this team is because they can bring on talent like yeah. a Poku and a certain Welshman that entered the fray later on. And that's kind of part <laughs> of their edge. So wonder if he'll take a part. Yeah, but that's part of the really the the advantage that they they do have over other teams. So I can't criticize Chirindolo for bringing on fresh legs there. A player of a Poku can make a difference. He did in previous rounds of this cup. So I think it was probably a fitness thing if Arango was still 100% legs and everything. But it's a big game, high-intensity game. He'd run his race and he'd done yeah. a good job leading a lion for uh, for the team. And I, yeah, so, I mean, a Poku young player, maybe maybe people were asking uh, who we were with, maybe they should have looked at Bale. They were asking, why is Bale not coming on instead rather than the substitution? Because uh, Arango put in a great shift for his team like he does uh, week in, week out. But yeah, a Poku comes on. But even after that, the, the game's kind of still a bit cagey and we get into the last 10 minutes. And then you, you're thinking, where's the breakthrough going to come? You know, both these teams look look solid. LA are really nice in possession, but still struggling to really create like an abundance of clear-cut chances against Philly. And it was a set piece. Warner, yeah. Um, set piece right down in front of us. And and yeah, Mario got up really well. Brilliant header and the place just explodes. The energy's incredible. You think it's game over at that point because the way the game had gone, there wasn't a, it wasn't chance after chance, you know. It was a really sort of tense, tough, competitive, intense game. LA get a breakthrough, 10 minutes to go. You say, that's game over, happy ending, fairy tale. And uh, the place felt like that. It was just, the roof felt like it was lifted off. And then... Again, it's Philadelphia. It's credit. It happened against New York. They go down, they take a blow, and they come right back and do the same. They get a set piece a few minutes later and punish some poor marking by LA. And and it, and, it, and that's the thing where I said to you, like, I'm just exhausted because the adrenaline in the stadium <laughs> of the big high, and it was almost like, bang, a few minutes later, like the air's taken out of the Two minutes again. later. And you've got yep. to like, you know, you got to re- you got to regroup and go again. So, yeah. yeah, game ends, and now we're going to going into extra time, overtime. Um, yeah, whatever you want to call so, it. So yeah, so we we've got to two two after eighty five minutes, right? A, a completely unnecessary foul as they're going out of bounds um, sets up the Philly free kick that's eventually put home by Jack Elliott. Center back gets the goal. We go into extra time. Christian Teo comes on for Kellen Acosta, looking for more kind of like spark up front. Um, after a few minutes and extra time, they took off Vela, which I thought was interesting with penalties potentially looming and put on a certain Welshman who may become important at, at some point in the future. Um, and then, yeah, so obviously talk to me about, you know, the the 116th minute, right? The There's a breakaway for Philly. Um, just talk to me about that, that whole kind of, that whole kind of uh, situation obviously changes the game completely um, and and makes, you know, forces some moves that otherwise may not have been made. Well, I mean, you have a term in football called, uh, called the hospital ball. And, and <laughs> unluckily for Maxime Kukpo, uh, he felt the, that's where it gets his name from. So, Cause it was a breakaway, but it was from a mistake, an under hit back pass, you know, like playing into overtime, the pressure, the moment, they're the things that are going to define games like this. So, and it was a it was a mistake from the from the defender. I can't remember uh, quite who it was, but he's under hit a back pass. Um, 
And uh, Corey Burks read it, fair play to him, fresh brain, fresh legs, gets to it just before Propose coming out, trying to make a last-ditch challenge, save the game for his team. And there's no doubt about it. It was kind of crazy. It was obviously, he, he just cleans out Burke and the ref gives him a yellow. And even yeah, everyone's, we're in the LAFC end and everyone's kind of looking a bit sheepishly like, how <laughs> uh, <laughs> was that yellow card? You know, like he's clearly so could the you, last. Could you guys last, see no. from, could you guys see from the field, like the injury itself? Cause it was a terrible injury. Like, you could hear it. It was so, like they didn't play it on TV. They did not replay it on TV because it was like gruesome. It was yeah, terrible yeah. for Krupo. You, you could see the impact and hear it. And actually where our seats were, were directly in line to where the injury ha- happened. Like where that challenge was made, we were on that sideline about 10 or 15 rows up. So we were like right in line with it. It was right underneath us. And and yeah, like it, it was one of them moments where like it wasn't like the, you know, like you heard the impact and it was like a crunch, a snap. And you're like, that didn't sound good. But then there was also the thing where it's like, well, that's a foul and probably a red card. And it was, and then when you see Cropo staying down, you know, for longer and the emergency, it was a real, again, it was, it was a really one of them things. There was so many highs, so many lows as a spectator of this game and almost in the most intense sort of 10 minutes moment of the game coming towards the final, you, you put your keeper, whether he's injured or he's getting a red card, he's going to be out of this game. He's one of your star players, a leader. You've got penalties looming. So this was a real kind of low moment for the, for the fans and the people watching it. And yeah, you could tell it was serious. Thankfully it wasn't like a head injury and stuff. So, you know, like, I mean, it's still bad, obviously broken leg or something like that, but you were like, all right, he's not going to have any, you know, you, some, it's not like a Christian Eriksen, but it kind of felt for a moment that the air went out of the place, you know, when you see, now nah, this is serious and you saw the impact. But Kropo got up and he was waving the fans off as he was leaving. So yeah. uh, fair play to him. And it sets up a storyline where John McCartney, uh, McCarthy comes into the game at that time <laughs> as a backup keeper with penalties looming and still yeah. a few minutes to play with 10 men where there's going to be some pressure. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what 117th minute he comes in and obviously they took a long time to get Krupa off the field. So they, they didn't actually get started again until like the 122nd or so, but McCarthy comes in as a, as a Philly kid, he's born in Philly. He played for Philly union. He's now the backup at LAFC and he's going up against his hometown team. And I think was it the corner that they won off of the off the set play, or was it a different corner that uh that Philly ends up putting it away and making it three two? In fairness to McCarthy, he makes an absolutely absurd save on the on the first shot uh to keep it out. But then Elliot is Johnny on the spot to get his second goal and put Philly up up three to two in the 124th minute. Obviously, a lot of extra time because of the Krupo injury and red card. Um, but at that point, like we all thought it was over. What what was kind of the the thought in in the stands there? Yeah, it was the same idea, and that was a brilliant, brilliant save. Like in like we were right next to that in a uh, in real time. And when when he got that toe on the ball and it was going towards goal, we're like, that's in. And he pulls off an absolute world class save, and then they smuggle it in anyway. But there was it was just a really weird, like really weird atmosphere because it had been such a good game, such a good occasion. You know what I mean? It'd been the atmosphere had been brilliant. But then you get this big injury 
And then it turned into a bit weird and concerned. But then there was a big roar when Crapo was healthy or like clapping him off, you know, everyone was supporting him. And it was up again. And then, yeah, literally a couple of minutes later, now you're three, two down, down to 10 men. And the game looks out of sight. It felt like, you know, the people around us are looking like dismayed, upset, you know, like, you know, you, you, be, you almost don't know what's hit you, you know, and it's almost yeah. too quick to react. It felt like the game's done. And, and people, like, funny enough, people, a couple of people started to get ready to leave and stuff like that. And that's why you never do that as a football fan, <laughs> as a PSA. But a couple of people were like, that's game over. And it really felt like it. It was like, there's no way back here against Philadelphia, one of the best defensive sides in a team. You're 10 men. Your players have played 120 minutes at this point. You know what I mean? Like, it just felt like that was it. That was the killer knockout blow. But it was, it was a final turn and it came down the left-hand side for LA. Palacios, who was brilliant all game, uh, breaks down the byline. I don't know if he still had the legs to get there. Digs out across and the ball's standing up and you, you see the, you, you know, you, it was almost slow motion. You see Gareth Bale's there and it's he, he's coming towards him, but the centre-backs are there. The cross wasn't like a... Across this, like, oh, whipped in on his head, bang, goal. It was stood up, and it was almost this moment where you're like, hang on. And then you see his Gareth Bale, and he just leaps. He just bullies uh, the defender. And just a world-class finish, world-class header, like, can't be un underestimated. Like, just an absolute big moment play from Gareth Bale. And I can't even... It was a blur after that. Like, they're just... <laughs> the stadium just went... Insane, there's beer everywhere. I was soaked. I was thinking people, I swear, I swear to you, people were crying, grown men crying, like neck tattoos crying. Like it was a it was emotional, it'd been a roller coaster, and the kind of like, yeah, everyone felt it, everyone realized they were witnessing something special, like regardless of what happens to penalty kicks, whatever. It just you know, what I mean, it felt like wow, we're here at a time, and like, yeah, it was incredible. And so, obviously we go to penalty kicks and then there was the realization yeah. like a couple of the guys were talking to me the couple of the other sorry guys say oh my god well come back and then i'm sort of saying to them yeah but going into these penalties they've got andre blake <laughs> and with all right coffee they're probably not favorites at this point you know right. still you know, they, <laughs> exactly yeah and and that was the conversation i'm having and then uh christian teo steps up and like yeah, the, the pressure was massive. Like, he, he, I think he 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 didn't. I mean, yeah, it's not. You, he's, he hasn't played a big part in the season, Teo, and then to come out for the first penalty there. I mean, the nerves got the best of him. It was a shocking penalty, and and again, it was that feeling. Like it, almost then, to me, I was like, oh, I feel like the game's done now. Because Andre Blake saved it. It was a poor penalty, and now Philadelphia, you know. You know they're they're pretty professional, pretty ruthless, and then and then yeah, I won't go into each and every penalty, but yeah, and then well, Gazdag slips and the ball goes over the over the crossbar. Yeah, and from that point, at least on TV, I thought this is over. I thought I thought LAFC are are good now because like that was the final like last little hurdle there. Um, Bolonga steps up and drills it, and then uh, Martinez had the keeper leaning the wrong way and kind of did a little stutter. And went the other way. Um, and McCarthy like 
almost faked one way. And I think he was legitimately going that way. And then he realizes, oh no, he's stuttering. He's going the other way. So he dives and makes the save. And at that point, it's basically over. I mean, Hollingshead drills it. Kai Wagner is also saved. And then Elie Sanchez puts it away. To the LAFC, the MLS it's Cup. There's a funny so, um, little side story. You probably didn't catch it on TV, but um, with Jose Martinez. So when they've scored the third goal, they're celebrating right in front oh, of where, yeah. where we're at. Yeah. And he's over in the in front of the credit to him because yeah. like it was a hostile crowd. They were pelting him with beers and all sorts. They shouldn't be doing that, but it was a hostile, hostile. You didn't crowd. throw anything, did you, Naji? No, 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 no. I can't throw. <laughs> I can only kick things. I'm from I'm from Europe. I can't throw. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but he goes over to the LAFC like fan base ultras and starts wiping his eyes, doing like a crying yeah. face in front of them. Yeah. I did see that. And like really winding him up. And uh, people are trying to jump on the field after him, like the security and police. And and so he, he really antagonized the fan base. And of course, he steps up and, and then he misses the penalty. This is his penalty. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can imagine the, the atmosphere there. So, I'm sure the fans were very polite to him after that. Yeah. yeah. Um, talk to me, just kind of wrapping, wrapping this up here. Talk to me about this last penalty. I mean, obviously, we have the video on, on the Twitter. If you haven't seen that, go check that out. Um, you, you have the video of it. But just, like, pure jubilation in that stadium, right? All around, everybody is just absolutely crazy. This is a marathon of a game. Absolute classic. Like, just talk to me about that last PK as it goes in. Yeah, it was just absolute pandemonium. It was like the dis... Like, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not even a... LAFC fan, but I felt it. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's when you know they get. I felt like I'd supported them since birth. Like just because like the the roller coaster emotions, so many highs, lows, ups, downs, like twist turns, and you almost like it was almost a you you couldn't believe what was happening. That how it got to that point where Hollingshead gets the step up and the ball goes in. There's a mixture of joy, relief, emotion, every thing, every spectrum. Yeah, like I said, there was there was grown men crying as it should be. It was, it was all all happening, and and the place just went absolutely mental. And uh, yeah, like I mean, the 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 whole ceremony after the whole. To be fair to the fans of LA, like the the whole game, winning, losing, up, down, injuries, whatever, they were really really passionate and um, and behind their team. And yeah, you, you just felt like this universal wave of relief and joy i'd say would override it and and what and it, and, and you, you really had the sense of you realized that you were in a special moment like in yeah. sport in the world right now like this is you'd, you'd witness something incredible and yeah thanks to so rare obviously that like, i got to yeah. be there and and yeah for what, sure. what an end to the season and what a, what a spectacle for football and for mls fans so that's i think yeah. i think you can't I, go into next season without big excitement and obviously we'll be talk, turning pivoting towards that in a minute but um yeah yeah, yeah i'm really I'm, I'm as excited as ever about the mls about thing i think this game can only help you know what i'm saying yeah 100 percent. and i know will has just been sitting here like wide-eyed just like listening to taking this all in loving every minute of it here give us your thoughts here on, on the whole fight you know the final as a whole kind of watching it um kind of going through it like obviously like i said kind of two freight trains kind of going at each other um, but what were kind of what were your takeaways here? Like, what what was going through your head when when uh, things wrapped up here for this season? Yeah, you're totally right. I'm totally wide eyed. Listening to somebody who actually got the opportunity to be at the game is incredible. Because um, just watching from home, it's, you could definitely feel the atmosphere coming straight through the TV. 
Um, really cool that it ended up being an LA stadium as the fans are just time and time again, incredible. Um, and like you said earlier, like you could see these two teams were almost destined to play each other. Um, debatably one of the greatest attacks and statistically the greatest defense in MLS history uh, coming up against each other. And even just how these teams made it there, right? How watching that NYFC Philly conference finals really thought NYFC had it. Um, But the way that Philly came back um, and just really happened again in the final with this back and forth. And something that I really appreciated is that watching the game, sometimes in a final, the moment can get really big and, one or even both of the teams are really playing to not lose rather than playing to win, if that makes sense. Um, and these two teams, they were both just playing to win. Um, you could see that from the substitutions they made, um, but even just the back and forth nature of the game and just an absolute classic, um, how many moments, two, three, four, five different times where you're like, okay, surely this is the last moment. Yeah. Surely this is over. Really? Yeah. Um, it just <laughs> almost didn't seem real each time it happened. And, Debatably the most clutch, best uh, finals player in football history and Gareth Bale comes yeah. up with another clutch moment and just incredible. Thank God the U.S. doesn't play Wales in the final because we would <laughs> no, have no chance of stopping Gareth Bale if it was a final. Um, yeah, absolutely crazy. And uh, another thing from this game, right? Four of the six goals come off set pieces. Yeah, that was really interesting. I, I mean, now she's kind of saying it was a little more cagey. And I mean, you'd think 3 3, it was pretty open and like free flowing, but like defenders scored three of the four, three of the six goals. Four of them came off of set pieces. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of a, kind of a crazy game anyway. But yeah, I, I completely echo exactly what you're saying there. Um, and yeah, I was, I was only getting to see like bits and pieces, like turning my attention here and then there and then everywhere. But um, yeah, I, I could feel like, Every time, like, especially when LAFC scored at the end of regulation, I was like, that's it. And then Philly scores at the end of extra time. And I was like, that's it. And both of them felt right to me. Like neither one felt like, well, this team's stealing this game, you know, but they, I feel like it's almost like they should split this championship because they like literally played to a tie, um, played extra time, played to a tie and then went to PKs and obviously PKs happened, but um, it felt like neither of these teams could could really u- lose. Um, so yeah, unbelievable way to finish up the season here. I don't think we're going to top that next year, um, but we'll we'll see how things play out. There'll be some new storylines. There'll be some new teams kind of coming up. Um, there's some obviously LAFC are going to have a really great team. Philly's going to have a good team, although we'll see how much they get gutted. Um, so let's let's turn our attention a little bit to next year. And you've kind of come up with this. Um, this kind of chart that, that kind of shows um, people that we should be targeting, you know, the teams are all in order. Um, so just kind of basically go through, go through this chart on, on a very broad level um, and, and kind of say, you know, maybe if you have a few things that you want to point out about the, about this chart, we'll, we'll get it posted um, in the show notes so that people can see it. Um, yeah. But just kind of, you know, just give us a broad example of, of maybe some things in here that, that are maybe uh, a little bit different or, or a little bit controversial or, or some thoughts that you have about this. Sure. So uh, with my background in finance, um, I make spreadsheets for a living and I think it caters well to Sarah as I'm kind of doing my scouting, 100%. 100%. preparing for next season. I think every manager, right. Has some kind of spreadsheet uh, behind the scenes that they're keeping track of. Um, I watched a video um, by so rare teacher. Uh, go check him out. Great content as well. Um, and he was talking about kind of how his strategy this past season um, was to kind of target um, 
the best players that kind of carry bad teams and on good teams, um, looking at their main strengths. So whether that be Philadelphia's defense, maybe LA's attack. Um, and I kind of already had a list like this, uh, going, but that comment that he made or that video that he made kind of clicked in my mind and it, um, got me to create the spreadsheet um, that we're going to go through today. Um, so as you can see, like in the top left, um, uh, the bottom teams, teams that I've kind of pegged for next season to um, be towards the bottom of the table, um, looking at who are those players that are really going to carry them. Um, most of them being offensive players um, to really create those great moments. Um, just for example, like a DC United, possibly like a Christian Benteke um, to really take, take the team up. Those middle teams. So, so let's start yeah. at the bottom here. Let's go through, you know, overall, let's start with the teams first. Um, so you've got DC third from the bottom here, which I think is interesting. How do you, why do you, why do you think Vancouver and RSL are below DC United? So just might as well say, put it up front as a DC United fan, maybe a little bit hopeful, maybe a little <laughs> bit biased, um, but yeah. they do have some exciting pieces coming in um, and some exciting pieces that uh, came in at the end of last season and Ben Teke um, got a, a winger from uh, Chile, uh, Taxi Fontas as well. Um, a lot of great individual players. And if the coach and Wayne Rooney can put something together, he's done it before in a team in Derby County um, over in England, um, a team that was at the bottom and kind of helped them rise up a bit. Um, again, I don't have MLS Cup uh, ambitions for the team, but yeah, um, because of those pieces, I have them not all the way at the bottom. Um, so, and then, so why, why RSL in Vancouver? Cause the, these are two teams, obviously RSL in the playoffs, Vancouver, one game away from the playoffs. Uh, they're two decent teams. Why, why, uh, why have them down there? Yeah, I'll start with RSL. Um, just watching them this past season um, and kind of following them it seemed like when they were getting results, it was kind of by the skin of their teeth. Um, it seemed as though from different statistics like XG and things like that, that they were a bit overperforming when it came to points um, the, the team itself is not super exciting to me. Um, and somebody, somebody has to be at the bottom and that's kind of why I put them there. Um, and similar reasons for Vancouver, um, just don't have, uh, too many players that excite me right now. Um, again, signings could change this, but somebody has got to be at the bottom and these are two that, um, I'm not super excited for, um, going yeah. forward next season. It's interesting that you you have these two at the bottom because I feel like RSL has always been kind of near the bottom for me and they continue to just kind of overperform their expectations. And then Vancouver is like one of those teams that everybody else has at the bottom that I like, I love. And then sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're really bad. Um, so, that, I mean, realistically, like talent wise, maybe they are kind of on the same level, um, but it's I just have two different completely two different views about it. I'm just a Vancouver Homer for, for uh, all intents and purposes. Like I, I always say BC place, toughest place to play in North America. They don't lose much at home, Vancouver. And I, obviously the same thing with RSL, they, they definitely grind out results at home. Um, so it'll be, it'll be definitely interesting to see um, Now you've got, you've got Vite on here as your, as one of your two Vancouver players to kind of watch. Um, Ryan Gold obviously is a great one. Um, talk to me a little bit about Vite because he's obviously come on at the end of this year. Um, I kind of want to see more and he's kind of, kind of a flash in the pan type of guy for me, um, where he's got all the talent that you want to look for, um, but he's never in the right spot and he's just very inconsistent. Um, and he just kind of had a good last like two or three months. Um, so talk to me about why you have uh, Vite as opposed to guys like Julian Gressel or Thomas Assal or, um, even, um, 
I forget the the striker that plays for Canada. Um, Cavallini. I'm, I'm blanking. Yeah, Cavallini. Um, some of the guys like that that might be a little bit safer. So talk to me about Vite. Yeah, I think the reason I, you hit a lot of great points about him, right? From my point of view, I see strikers like Brian White, um, Cavallini kind of uh, going going out the door um, or either taking a spot yeah. on the bench um, and Vite coming up in front of them. Um, and he really seemed like the best attacking option when I was looking at this team. Um, Hassel and Gressel, uh, great prospects um, for Sarah scouting as well. Um, but I just see this team conceding a lot of goals um, personally. Yeah. And so I uh, I was just choosing the best attacking option. It's kind of the thought process I had with them. Gotcha. Interesting. Uh, so you've got the other teams kind of in the bottom tier here. Charlotte, Houston, Chicago, Orlando City, Inter Miami. Are you trying to offend all of our hosts on all of our different podcasts? Because we've got Charlotte for Trip and B, we've got Chicago for for uh, Nashi, got DC United for me, and we've got Jorge's Orlando City. They're all in the bottom for you. So, um, what's going on with that? Definitely, definitely not intentional. Uh, <laughs> funny how that worked out. We just all like bad teams. It's fair. Uh, talk talk to us about Chicago. Obviously, Nashi's going to be interested to hear this. Uh, you've got Shakiri and Federico Navarro as the two kind of guys that you're targeting. Um, talk to us about Chicago, what you like, what you don't like. Sure. I think Chicago is maybe the team that could really push and be the most variable. They're really led by a lot of young talent, and a lot of this maybe just depends on how many uh, players leave for either Europe or other teams as well. Um, I think Shakiri is an obvious pick. Um, he kind of, it took some time for him to kind of find his footing in the team as well. Um, I know when he played DC, uh, I was really excited to see him in person and um, kind of didn't turn up until the end of the game and had an incredible assist. And I think he's someone, if Chicago does have excess, he's going to be in the center of all of it. Um, and then Navarro um, for, I believe he's a central defensive midfielder, um, just signed a new long-term contract with the team. Um, I think he is really consistent and is so rare scoring, um, which a lot of these players, um, that's where I got inspiration and based them as well. Um, yeah, but like I said, Chicago could really be one that could bounce up or down depending on who they're able to keep. Any I, thoughts um, about that, Nashi? Yeah, no, I was going to say, although, although you've got him in the bottom there, I do, I like, I re- obviously, Jordan Shakiri. his first year in the league was mixed. For so rare standpoint, he had some big games and some big, scores um but on the field like you said he didn't quite get consistency he didn't quite bring that team to it, it just it just felt like all a bit jumbled this season for Chicago they had a lot of injuries they couldn't set a lineup quite like they want to um but I really like the fact that you've included Fede Navarro in there because he's been outstanding like you said consistency like on so rare too he's he's a defensive very defensive minded player and he's a he's an absolute animal in there. He's challenges all sorts, but he's not. He he contributed a few goals and assists this year, but I don't think you can rely on him for that too much. But as a player, he's he's young, but he could play at a high. He like in the MLS, he's going to be a dominant player. I think he's already was last year. He went under the radar because Chicago were just poor. Let's be honest. I don't like to say it, but we were. And but Navarro, that, that's a good eye from you there because he's a brilliant player and he'll be playing week in, week out. They had like DP, Gaston Jimenez in there. Um, Nader was Nader was looking at playing that position too. But as the season went on, Fede Navarro was 
was like first name on a team sheet every week. So that's a great shout. And you mentioned the young talent in Chicago and they do have that. I mean, like, I don't know. The big one I think for them is uh, John Duran. I think Caspar uh, up front was just a disaster for the, the system for Shakiri. Shakiri's got abundance of ability on the ball. He sees passes early and you, but when you, I mean, with all credit, with all respect to Casper Brazilko, he just couldn't, he's just not moving. He's not mobile enough. And you saw the impact of John Duran when he came in this team. I don't know why he didn't play more, but he's, his goal to minute ratio was absurd this year. I think he scored about six or seven goals, barely playing. Obviously he's, he's a baby, he's 18, but you can see physically and technically, like he's got a really high ceiling. And I think already people from Europe have started to keep an eye on him. I've seen links with with Champions League level sides already, um, just because his ceiling's just absurdly high. So I don't know if he's there next year. I think Chicago will be a real force because another player from the people might want to look at for next year is Jairo Torres. He's not been the he's had an awful start at Chicago he was injured on and off he just couldn't find a position he couldn't find it in the team and he was he, he looked poor his first few games but towards the end of the season he's played a few games and you saw you know you saw the glimpses of the quality why they paid six million dollars which is a lot of money for a young player from Mexico and you saw glimpses of what he can do and I think he's going to be a key in whether Chicago are competitive next year, if he can keep healthy and keep up the form or keep, you know, consistency in his performances, because they've got a few stalwarts in the team there. Chris Mueller is a good MLS player. He's a workhorse. He's never going to let you down. He's going to contribute enough to keep you competitive. They got Chihos at the back, who's solid. He's a captain. He's a leader. That's what good teams need. We just saw Philadelphia defensively, like, See, see, Nashi though, the teams at the bottom only get two players, so you got to you got to pick one or two from this team. You can't go through the whole starting lineup. <laughs> I know, but I'm just trying to I'm trying to convince Will here why Chicago shouldn't be in this. I think they should be lower. Can, can we can we get them lower? Is there another zone we can create? Hey, you were you were kind of alluding to this, but do you remember at the back at the beginning of the season? I don't know if it's six, seven games where Chicago were just keeping clean sheet after clean sheet. Yeah. Um, and they kind of got away from that to the middle to the end of the season. But if they can get back to that, I mean, keeping clean sheets in MLS is never an easy thing to do. And that, that could be big for them. Yeah. yeah. We'll I see who they that. replace Gaga Solanina with as well. Um, yeah. But let's let's get on to the uh, to the middle of the road teams here. Now, you've got some absolute dudes in the middle of the road teams here. You've got Ricky Pooge, you've got Emmanuel Reynoso, you've got Fur and Velasco, you've got Honey Mukhtar. Lucas Celerayan, Carlos Heel. Um, you've got some really big scorers, and really the top scorers in So Rare are kind of on your middle of the road teams. Um, explain explain that to me a little bit, because obviously you'd, you'd feel like the teams with the best players should be kind of at the top. Is there a reason that you've kind of put all those teams kind of more in the middle tier as opposed to some of the guys in the top tier? So, right, a lot of this is speculation. Um no real reason, um, more just a feeling from me. Um, but you hit it spot on. I mean, Cruz, Reynoso, Ferreira, these are some of the top guys in the league and I believe will be the top scorers again. Um, but even when these teams may not be performing at their top, these guys are going to be consistently putting out scores. 
come yeah. kind of the comment I said for Shakiri. If, for example, Minnesota's scoring, if Nashville's scoring, it's almost inevitable that those guys are going to be in the middle um, of whatever's happening. And in every league, um, but the MLS especially, um, that attacking-minded creative midfielder, um, the Carlos Heel, um, is the best example of that. It seems like teams are really trying to target a player like that um, and run run their team um, through this star. A lot of times a designated player. Um, and so a lot of those guys um, you'll see uh, in these top spots here. So here's the one that kind of s- stuck out to me a little bit. You've got Sporting Kansas City in the middle of the pack, which I kind of like. They're they're you know obviously going to take a, a pretty big step forward. Eric Tommy is one of your players to watch. The other one is Ben Sweat. Uh, that's an interesting name. So kind of kind of uh, go through why Ben Sweat because I I know he's uh, he's a guy that I'm familiar with and I think I had at the start of the season, um, but I think I got rid of him very early on if I remember correctly. So kind of go go through uh, why Ben Sweat. Yeah, so KC, Sporting KC, like you said, I really believe they are a team on the up. They're right down there with DC United um, table-wise this season. Um, But towards the end of the season, they started grinding out results um, and especially looking more defensively solid as well. And right, that's why I have two of uh, their starting defenders um, on this list right here as a main buy and somebody promising to look at for next year. Um, admittedly a team I did not get to watch as much of as they weren't on, uh, national games or big games a lot. Um, but, uh, so rare wise, just looking through on survey data, looking at their top performers, uh, week in, week out. Um, he was a name that definitely stuck out to me. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's really not a bad shout because you look at his price. He's dirt cheap. Um, he is 31, but he took over that left back position that I didn't think at the beginning of the year, I thought he was going to get it. And then, he came in and subbed in for the first uh, three, five games, um, played a little right back, and then they switched him over to the left side, and he kind of he kind of took over that at the end. He threw up 100. He threw up an 82. So, I mean, he wasn't super consistent, but, I mean, for a dirt-cheap player who's got a potential to throw up 100, it's, it's really not a bad shot on a team that we think is going to be um, a little bit better there. So, yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I recognize – I mean, obviously, I recognize all the names, but I, I know there are a lot of big-name players – um, that you have in kind of your main buy section. Um, and Ben Sweat was the one that, that kind of stood out to me a little bit there. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting on that one. Do you have anything from the from the middle section there, Nash? Any questions you want to ask? I was kind of noticing, um, and I, I don't disagree with it, but Sporting, uh, KC and San Jose both had poor years this year, and they've made the jump into this middle section in your kind of projections here. What do you think? You've got a Bobasi who had a great year, and behind him, you've got Jamiro Montero. And then, as a promising, you've got Nathan and Cade Cow, who may or may not stay there. Do you think, obviously, the coaching change, I think, is what people are projecting improvements in San Jose? My kind of question looking at this is that I don't necessarily think San Jose's offense was suffering too much with the way they were playing, it was more on the other end of the field. So do, do you think there's an argument, was that a consideration that maybe some of their defensive-minded players might might be worth looking at over someone like Abobasi, who had a great year despite of like their overall team letting in a bag full of goals every game? Or do you just think the whole team's going to be better with the new coaching? Are you anticipating players coming in? What's kind of your thoughts behind like, San, you spoke about Sporting there, but San Jose making it up into that middle section and their offensive players being the guys to have. Yeah. 
totally agree with a lot of the points you made. I think for me, baseline, um, the coaching change is big. This is a team that has a lot of pieces. Um, you mentioned Abobasi, Montero, possibly Kate Cowell if he stays. They have a lot of fantastic um, middle to even high quality um, attacking options. I just believe with uh, better coaching, hopefully, and maybe some more structure and rigidity, um, that this is a team that can really go from the bottom to shoot up uh, the table a few spots. Um, yeah. And that is a good point as well about defensive players, right? Abobasi and Montero, people know and people have seen them. They're putting out crazy stats every week. Um, but possibly like a possibly Nathan or any more of their defensive players could be undervalued if this team does um, help the defense um, become more solid. Um, I know this uh, chart doesn't include any goalkeepers, but JT Marcinkowski is definitely something yeah. I've been monitoring on server as well, hoping that his price would drop. And that just has not been the case because I think there's a lot of more people that are thinking the way we are about San Jose. Um, as you could see, his card is being bought pretty steadily and pretty frequently in the past few weeks. What a crazy kind of move for, for JT Marzinkowski over like the last six months. Cause I've been watching him too. Um, and he goes from like six months ago, he's the starting keeper. So that's good. But his team ships a ton of goals. Like he's got limited upside and then they change the matrix so that you get penalized a ton for giving up goals. And it's like, well, this guy's worthless now. And then they go and make a coaching change that it's like, well, now they might be at least somewhat good defensively. Um, and he's still 24. So now his stock is, you know, going right back up. So yeah, kind of a crazy, crazy ride. And I don't disagree with anything you said about San Jose there. I think that's, that's great. And I think that's about where they should be. Like I kind of see them as the Cincinnati of this year. So like, kind of fighting to get into that playoff race type of thing from being basically dead last, I think is, is a good shout. Um, and then you've got some other, you know, awesome teams here. Um, well, let's kind of wrap things up with obviously the the big names and, and you've got two teams in here, um, three teams in here that finished outside of the playoffs uh, and two of them finished at the very bottom of their league. So um, very interesting here. I'll just go through the order really quickly. You've got LAFC top, Philadelphia second, NYC is third, Atlanta is fourth, Toronto is fifth, Seattle's in sixth, Austin is seventh, and Cincinnati is in eighth. Um, that's an interesting lineup there. Kind of go through that for me. Um, obviously, LA and LA and Philadelphia just played to an absolute cracker of a final, and they would be the two favorites if they don't get gutted. Um, can I go through some of those other teams that didn't make the playoffs? Yeah, for sure. I know it's a bit of a cop-out to choose LAFC and Philadelphia at the top of this list, um, but we all watched the final. We've seen the run they made this season. Keeping pieces is going to be really important for them to stay at the top. Like you said um, a few minutes ago, that either team, um, maybe more Philadelphia, could be gutted potentially. Um, but as it stands right now and as we're looking for next season, I think these are on the East and West. These are the two teams to beat. Um, kind of moving into NYCFC, um, they just have really solid young talent. Um, and being part of uh, the whole city um, family, um, I think is only a huge plus as they're recruiting um, in South America and maybe it'll expand to Europe as well has been fantastic with solid coaching as well. Um, and then it gets to Atlanta and Seattle, right? Two teams that missed the playoffs, two teams that even when they missed the playoffs, I feel like people are still talking about them. And I think for good reasons both teams that have historically been fantastic in the league, Atlanta with possibly the biggest budget in the league um, and a lot, a lot of injuries um, from both sides. Atlanta's getting back miles Robinson, 
um, which is a, a big defensive piece and can hopefully they got Brooks Lennon back at the end of the season. Um, these are some huge MLS names, but some huge so rare names as well, as I feel like Brooks Lennon is on everybody's watch list um, as a good value pick. Um, so Atlanta and Seattle are two teams that really underperform this season. Seattle possibly due to the champion, the North American champions league, maybe putting a little bit um, of focus on too much focus on that. And it did show in the league, but I just can't see two seasons in a row where these guys are subpar again. Um, and then the next kind of category of the top right here, Toronto, Austin, Cincinnati um, are all a bit uh, speculative as well. Um, Cincinnati um, really came on at the end of this year um, and their front three um, were just incredible being Acosta, Vasquez and Brenner. Brenner being somebody I had in server at the beginning of the season. Um, Chris, I watched one of your videos and he was uh, one of the ones to buy and I totally agreed and I bought him up and he just wasn't playing, wasn't even... I was uh, so really frustrated. Wasn't producing at all <laughs> and I believe I sold him for a loss. Um, and yeah. then one of those... Where I think just, I sold him for maybe break even if I got that. Yeah. And 100%. one of those where you just punch in the wall where once he yeah. starts performing... Um, I'm sure we've all had a situation like that with players just like that. But um, Cincinnati's attack is really impressed. Um, Vasquez was even getting shouts um, for a U.S. men's national team call up, um, yeah. which is cool to see. Yeah, um, and I think almost deserve it shouts, too, for, for Brandon Vasquez in Cincinnati. And I think realistically, the thing that kind of held them back in the beginning of the season was the thing that's been holding them back since they've got into the league, which is defense. And I think you've added in, obviously they have a killer front three that nobody wants to face. Um, but then you added in Nuovo and Miazga and all of a sudden this team and at the back with Salantana, who's, who's come on really nicely. And all of a sudden this team looks very good going into next season. They're kind of like Philly still in the East, but like you say, like Philly West, um, you know, obviously the Philly general manager, Philly assistant coach coming over this year and kind of made a big dent on that team. Um, Austin's an interesting one. I, I kind of expect Austin to take a pretty big step back. I, I think, I think they way wildly overperformed this year and I could see them a hundred percent missing the playoffs and at best, like kind of fighting into that six, seven spot. Um, that'll be interesting. Drew sees a, a absolute animal. He's great. I just don't know that they have anyone else that I'm really super scared of. Scante is a good piece. Fagundas had a career year, um, but he's never played that well in his life. Ring is a good piece, um, but I, I just don't see a ton else on that on that team. We've um, um, we've, we've Austin yeah. there, Will. Do you, you've got Musa Gite as someone you, you put as promising, and I know he was starting to get some starts in them playoff games. He's obviously a big, athletic young player. Do you see him? Have you seen the development in him that's made you keep an eye on him, or you just think that? If he keeps the starting spot, he could be a good good pickup for the value he's currently trading at. I think just that, right? I think if he's able to keep that starting spot, he has so much potential. Um, and that that's really why I included him there. Um, if he can consistently hold that. And I think Austin just has a fantastic spine, right? I think they have in Cascante at center back, ring at CDM, their captain and leader, Drew UC at center attacking mid. Um, if... I don't disagree with you, Chris. I think they may have overperformed this year, but if they're really able to keep that consistency and really that spine intact, um, I can see them. I can see them doing well again this season as well. And 
Yeah. Whenever I'm watching that team and it's like a night game in Austin, the lights all shut down and it goes yeah. green. I mean, one of the coolest yeah. experiences that got to be in MLS as well. Yeah, I managed yeah. to get over there and watch a game in that stadium. And I think that they, they definitely did it this year, but playing away at Austin, although it's not the same reasons as going to like a Vancouver, I think no one wants to go into that stadium and feel confident about getting a result because that crowd is sold out every week. It's right behind the team. You know, you can feel the energy there. And and they were really strong at home this year. And I think that'll be the case. That'll be like the the difference whether they make it or not. They need to yeah. at least be dominant at home. And um, a thing I was going to pull up there, you've got LA Galaxy just outside. And I guess I'll get your opinion, Chris, on a few of these teams that you might switch up. But I, you've, you've gone pretty high up in that mid-tier. They're just outside there. But they're a team that I think almost where you said Austin overperformed. I think they're a yeah. team that's slowly towards the are going in the right direction. And there's obviously Ricky Pugh, you've got in there, is the big piece that stands off the page. He's going to be the leader of that team. He's a quality, quality player. But they bring in a couple other pieces, Gaston Brugman. They shored up the defense a bit. And I think they're a team that I would be looking at to make the playoffs next year. I think I'd I think that they the ceiling for the LA Galaxy. I'm not sure they're going to have to do some good business, but like bringing in a player like Puge shows that they're at least doing something right. So if they can do one one or two more little moves there, you've got Samuel Grandsur, I think, had a really good year in terms of improvement for him personally. He has a lot of quality. He came from France. He wasn't getting starts, but I think they've got a couple of players in that team um, that hopefully won't be in and around the picture next season. Uh, Kevin Cabral. Yeah. Um, I th- uh, I think that's that's the big thing, right? Like they've got so much dead weight that how do they how do they get rid of that and bring in some more pieces that they need? Because I don't think the defense is completely done yet. If they can get rid of guys like Douglas Costa and Cabral, then they're in business. But I don't know if that's possible or not with their cap yeah. situation. But yeah, obviously Pooj is great. Um, I just question the defense and if they can, you know, keep enough goals out to be able to consistently win games. Um yeah, I, I think I, I think I mean he's got him as the top of the of the kind of middle tier, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's probably about where they belong. Um, as far as teams that I think I'd move around, I think Orlando should be higher. Um, team that made the playoffs last year, I don't see them getting significantly worse. I don't see them getting significantly better, but I think they're you know solid mid tier type of team. Same thing with Miami. I don't think they're. Um, I don't think they're going to get significantly better, although they might get messy next year, which would change things quite a bit. Um, but I, I do like Pozuelo in that team. So I think those two maybe should be a little higher. I'm a Vancouver homer, so I think Vancouver should be a little higher. I think Montreal's too high. I think they'll get gutted this year. I think they'll lose the coach, which is kind of their secret sauce. I think they'll be one of the bottom two or three teams in the league next year. Um, otherwise, Portland? it's pretty good. It's a pretty good Portland, list. Chris? Well, Will, Will, you've got Portland quite low there. And obviously this year they had a poor year. But Portland's a team and a franchise that generally you expect to be competing for the playoff spots. And yeah, what do you you think that they've kind of found their level? Or do you think like, for me, Portland, maybe not quite a Seattle, but they're a franchise and and a city within the MLS that will expect to be competing for playoff spaces. And you kind of from this chart, at least have some questions there. What were your kind of questions? You think they just need to bring in another couple of players to, to make that jump now? I think just that 
I think Portland really finds themselves in a transitional phase right now where historically they've been a fantastic franchise sellout every time they score a goal and the timber guy is cutting, cutting the tree. It's, it's electric. Right. But I think the yeah. team themselves, uh, I really think the Char brothers are great, but they're aging. Um, and so is a lot of the defensive pieces as well. Um, didn't seem to have much defensive consistency in their performances, but even who was in that back line as well. Um, I, I just, I'm not convinced enough with Portland right now, um, that they'll be one of those top teams. So just kind of stuck them in the middle there. Yeah. I think I Portland's a total wild card team. Yeah. hundred percent. I have no idea what Portland's going to do. My last question's about Minnesota. Obviously Reynoso is an absolute baller. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally have put them so high. What, what do you see there that you think that they're going to be right on the, the, or like I'd say better than some of these other teams that you've got below that are looking kind of strong. You think Reynoso can carry that team or do you think they've got enough about them elsewhere that, that they're going to be in and amongst it? I really think it's, they have enough pieces around them. Um, I started watching this team a lot as I'm a big university of Maryland fan and right. Dane St. Clair, once he got to the starting spot, um, I picked him up on so rare um, and that's been exciting for me, but um, really what I saw with this team, I don't know if you guys remember kind of in the middle of the season, there was a stretch seven, eight, nine, ten 10 games where they were the top team in the MLS. And if they can just yeah. capture that form going forward, um, I believe the reason that they lost that is just to a lot of injuries. There was times where they're back four, three, or even four um, were out towards the end of the season. And that's where they kind of fell off and um, really nearly even didn't make the playoffs, but I'm really high on uh, if these guys can come back from injury and be solid. Um, I think they have uh, decent enough defense. And then that front four, right. Of Amaria, Reynoso, Fragapani, and possibly Holonwade as well um, are just very solid and um, possibly some of the best link up play and um, togetherness I saw on just all around creativity um, from Minnesota. So that's kind of the reason I, I do believe, yeah, they got enough pieces to stay up there. Here's, here's my problem with Minnesota. You mentioned that stretch where they were very dominant in that stretch. They played RSL. They played Vancouver. They played sporting KC. They played DC United, Houston, Portland, Colorado Rapids, Nashville, Austin, and Houston again. There's like one, maybe two good teams that were in there. Uh, they played to a 4-4 draw with Portland. They lost 4-3 to Colorado. Other than that, they won every game. Uh, they had a 1-1 draw with Sporting Kansas City. Other than that, they won every game. I think Minnesota's very good when they're playing a bad team, but I don't think they can hang with the big teams is, is kind of my problem with them. And I think it's coaching, honestly. I think... I think their coach is is a decent coach, but I don't think he's a great coach. And I think he holds them back when they get into big games. You're hundred percent right. I love their spine. Um, maybe a little bit more focus on the defensive end, but as far as like defenders, I, I do like Dane St. Clair. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's what kind of holds them back a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I think kind of a good place to, to wrap things up here. Really appreciate you coming on, on the show to kind of talk through this. Like I said, we'll have this in the show notes so that everybody can, can kind of take a look at it um, on Twitter at so rare will will with one W or one L sorry, one W <laughs> all wills are with one W um, at so rare will, but yeah, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks for doing it. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah. Thank you so much guys. This has been a blast. Really appreciate you guys having me on.